This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, Apple, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on, hit that subscribe button. I am Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Penn State Athletics, Kevin Adams, Ball State Athletics, Paul Havocott. We're joined tonight by a special guest. He's a 12-year MLB veteran pitcher, played with the White Sox, Yankees, Indians, and Angels. He's a three-time All-Star, AL wins leader, led the league in complete games three times, led the league in shutouts as well. He's led in almost every stat out there. He's got a great music career. We're going to I'm going to ask him about that during his Q&A, so we'll get into that, of course. And, of course, he is a Cy Young Award winner. We got Jack McDowell. Jack, thank you for joining us. All right. Good to be here, man. Awesome, awesome. Nickname Black Jack, great nickname. Love love it when we get the good nicknames on this show. So, as always, we'll have a Q&A afterwards with Jack about his career. And tonight's debate is going to be the greatest playoff upsets of the 1990s. And we're going to start with 1996. All right. So 1996, Orioles over Cleveland. Um, the Orioles' 1996 team was special because they hadn't made the playoffs in 13 seasons. Uh, but that being said, they made the playoffs as a wild card. Uh, this was the first season for the wild card in the MLB. Um, they had an 88 and 74 record. They actually had a period in April during which they lost 11 of 14 games. And then another period during which they lost 14 of 19 in July. Um, the Orioles club itself was in turmoil despite the success. Uh, much of it was centered on the clubhouse dissension, centered on uh, Cal Ripken. And owner uh, Pete Angelos was nearly convinced to sell off his high-priced stars when the team fell below 500 in late July. Uh, the pitching staff outside of surprising star Mike Mussina was pretty much atrocious. They collectively had a 5.14 ERA. Only six clubs in the majors that year had a worse mark. Now, the Orioles were slated to face Cleveland, the defending AL champions, uh, a team with Sandy Alomar, Julio Franco, Jim Tomey, Albert Bell, Kenny Lofton, and Manny Ramirez in their lineup. Uh, they must have been salivating thinking of that ballooned-up uh, Baltimore ERA. I mean, uh, you know, Ramirez had 33 homers. Tommy had 38. Bell was 48, uh, who was third in the majors that year. Uh, they had a pretty good uh, pitching staff, which consisted of Charles Nagy, Earl Hershiser, uh, Chad Ogia, Dennis Martinez, uh, some guy named Jack McDowell, uh, and then they had Jose Mesa as the closer. Uh, so this really should have been a walk in the park for Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland and four was my thoughts whenever I saw this series line up uh, back in the day. You know, but instead, the struggling o Orioles pitching staff was able to hold Cleveland to four or less runs in three of the four games in this series. And it was the Orioles, not Cleveland, who took this one in four. So truly an unexpected and great upset. So, Jack, you were actually part of this series. You went five and two-thirds, uh, I believe, in the game that you pitched. Is that? Yeah, right? against Messina. You know, that's, that's the crazy one. That was the only one we beat. It was the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Baltimore, they had some good teams in the 90s. They never broke through to that world to get to the World Series, which was kind of surprising with the, with the teams they had. Um, you know, your thoughts on, on you guys losing this series? Like, I, it was unexpected. Well, it's crazy. You know, you heard the lineup. It's basically an all-star team. 
you know, realistically, the, the Indians had one heck of a together team stats-wise, but not team-wise and not, you know, behind the scenes-wise. That was the problem and the reason why Cleveland didn't get more World Series wins with that group of guys that they had because there was a lot of back and forth going on, you know, in the dugout, in the clubhouse. It was, wasn't a tight-knit team. That's interesting. You it, you would think with uh, how many times they went to the playoffs there consecutively that it would have been more cohesion and more tightness. I'm I'm surprised to hear that. It's interesting. Excellent. Well, and uh, so we talk about those Orioles there for a second. Cal Ripken. I mean, all time great. I mean, what were your thoughts on their lineup? You had to you had to pitch through them. Yeah, I mean they're solid. Everybody's solid. It's major leagues, and you never know. You know, that's the whole thing. It's all come down to metrics, meaning predetermine everything now. And you cannot predetermine what's going to happen in the game of baseball. You know, guys, yeah. when are they going to get their hits? Who knows? I don't know. Are they going to get their hits with guys on? Or are they going to get their hits with nobody on? You just never know. You know, when are you going to make a mistake as a pitcher with guys on? It just happens. It just happens, and if both things happen, okay, then it turns the wrong way. You cannot predetermine what's going to happen in the sport of baseball. If you have the best guys, it doesn't mean you're just going to go out there and win. In other sports, it definitely is. If you have the best athletes, the best guys, biggest, strongest, fastest type things, that ain't baseball, man. Baseball is pitch-to-pitch adjustments, and you wait and see what happens. Right. So we're going to move to 1997. Uh, we're going to go to a team that was actually represented when we did our greatest World Series winners of the 90s, and that's going to be the Florida Marlins. In the 97 National League Championship Series, we had uh, Florida Marlins against the Atlanta Braves. The Marlins ended up winning the Series 4-2, went on to defeat the Indians that year in the World Series as well. Uh, but both Atlanta and Florida, they were uh, in the NL East Division. Uh, the Braves were the division champions. They had 101 wins. Uh, while the Marlins only had 92, and the Marlins just made the playoffs, grabbing a, a wild card spot. Uh, both the Braves and the Marlins swept their opponents in their division series. Um, when they played each other, though, this was the second all-Southern postseason series, the first being in the previous round when Atlanta beat Houston. But it was the first all-Southern postseason series to take place entirely in one time zone. Uh, that was an interesting fact. Uh, this series marked a high point uh, for the Braves and Marlins rivalry. Uh, as the Marlins made the playoffs only one time uh, after it from 98 to 2019. Uh, the Marlins finished the season with two players that just barely topped two or 20 home runs. Uh, they had not one hitter batting over 300. Uh, they had only one pitcher under a 3.18 ERA. They averaged total in their pitching a 3.81 ERA. Uh, they did have three pitchers in double digit, digit wins. Uh, but one just made double digits. Uh, the Braves had four batters with over 20 home runs. They had two batters batting over 300, two that were just under 300. Uh, Marlins had to face probably one of the hardest starting lineups for pitchers. Uh, they had four pitchers with double-digit wins. One of them had over 20 wins. Uh, those names consist of Schmoltz, Maddox, Glavin, Nagel, Three out of the four had a less than 3.0 ERA, and the fourth was at a 3.02. Uh, so they averaged a 2.78 uh, total between the four of them. Uh, Atlanta also had Blauser, Lofton, McGriff, Chipper Jones. 
I mean, it was a pretty uh, all-star lineup. Now, Marlins did have, you know, Moises Alou, Bonilla, Renteria. I mean, so they had some decent players, but they weren't they weren't playing to the level what Atlanta was. So I think this was a big shocker. Everybody in that Marlins lineup, I'm pretty sure every one of them was least an all-star once in their career, uh, if you go back and look at it. But, J- Jack, let me ask you, Glavin, Schmoltz, <laughs> Maddox, Danny Nago at the peak of his career, how, how can you beat that pitching staff? That is incredible, that pitching well, staff. Happened. They, they won their division every year for about a decade. But then when it got to the playoffs and all of a sudden you didn't have those National League umpires giving them the crazy strike zone, that's how they lost a lot of the times to the American League teams. And you talk about numbers and pitching numbers back then when there wasn't interleague all year long. There was no interleague play and all that. You know, we we were facing DHs and not pitchers. So you're going to have bigger numbers, bigger offensive numbers coming through that. So, you know, it's just, it's just, it was a different thing, National League versus American League back in the 90s. And just your thoughts, uh, since it was the Marlins that got the win, let's, let's talk about them for a second. Levon Hernandez one of the greatest playoff runs in history that year. He picked up two wins in that series against the Braves. Uh, and he kind of just came out of nowhere. I mean, what were your thoughts on Levon? Well, as I said, you just come out and you do your game. Sometimes you have good games. Sometimes you get the calls. Sometimes you, you know, can score some runs in a game, and that's the way it works sometimes. You never predict playoffs in baseball. Yeah. And, of course, uh, Brian, let me, let me come to you real quick. Uh, you know, I know you're the big Jim Leland fan. He got his World Series ring there. Just w- what did that mean to you as someone who unfortunately watched him lose in Pittsburgh <laughs> three seasons in a row? Yeah, well, I mean, being a Pirates fan, I, I guess in a, in a way it kind of gave me a little bit of a validation, you know, that, that he was great and it, and it was cool to see him you know, to see him on top and see and see him win that championship because, you know, the way that things have gone at Pittsburgh and he kind of got the rug pulled out from under, under him, you know, there uh, as everybody sort of exodus out of the, you know, off the team in, in 93 and 94 there. So, yeah, it was just – it was cool to finally see him – finally see him, you know, reach that pinnacle. Sadly, the rug was pulled out on the Marlins the following right. year as well. Made uh, a big fire sale. Fire sale, absolutely. Well, let's move on to our other team from 97. And that's going to be this this time in reverse. The Cleveland Indians pulling off the upset against the evil empire, the New York Yankees. So the Yankees were actually the wild card team that year. However, they had ten more wins than the Cleveland Indians. So they may have been the wild card, but they had the better record. Um, so we look at this '97 season, and the Yankees hitters. They had more runs, hits, doubles, triples, RBIs, walks, less strikeouts than Indians hitters. They had a better batting average. So then we go over and look at pitching. The Yankees ERA, almost a full point better than the Indians. They have more complete games, shutouts, saves, less hits and runs given up, and they struck out more batters and walked less. Heck, they, they even hit less batters. So the pitching staff of the Yankees was superior of the Indians that year. So – just in just about every statistical category, the Yankees were better during the regular season. So we go into this playoffs, and because it's in the wild card round, it was only a five game series. Um, 
and the Indians, they win this series three games to two. And that's despite being outscored in the series by the Yankees, um, 24 to 21. So not a huge difference, but they still were outscored and they pulled off the series. Um, and they had two games. Uh, uh, the Yankees had a two games to one lead, and then they blew leads in several games throughout the series. So it was kind of incredible for that to happen. Um, so we got the Yankees as the champs in 96, 98, 99, and 2000. 97 is the year they didn't even get there because the Cleveland Indians pull off the amazing upset. And uh, it was uh, Brian who mentioned earlier some of the guys in, in the lineup for the Indians. I mean, they could hit the ball, even though statistically they were, they were worse, but they had a pretty solid lineup. And they, they did have Jack McDowell on the, on the roster that year, but he, he unfortunately was injured for, for most of that season. But is, what, do you remember anything from that series, maybe being, you know, watching from above or anything like that, Jack? No, it was sad for me not being able to be there, you know? Yeah. I mean, one time, you know, that's the whole thing about baseball. The thing that I enjoyed was you try to win, try to win championships. doesn't matter what you do individually. Because, and I've said this a million times, you, it doesn't matter. Anybody who has even the greatest year, MVP player, okay, you think he could have had a batting average better? Think he could have hit 10 more home runs? Think he, once you make your first out of the season as a hitter, you could have had a better season. As a pitcher, once you give up your first hit, well, you could have had a better individual season. But guess what? When you win a championship, that's it. You just reach the top goal, and there's nothing else to accomplish. There's always more to accomplish individually. The only thing that you can reach that is the biggest thing and the real thing is championships. And so it was a bummer not to not to get there, not to be going in the playoffs. And then, you know, the one team that went to the World Series that I was on the roster but didn't get a chance to pitch in it, and that was a bummer. Right. And it just seems like, too, when whenever a team beats the Yankees, it's it's higher profile. It's New York. It's the Yankees, you know. That's, that's always something I've noticed, at least. But all right, uh, let's go to the 98. Padres. So 98 Padres score off against the perennial contending Braves. And we did talk about it. It's kind of reminiscent of that Marlins series, but kind of without the all-stars. But when you're facing the Braves back then, you're facing nothing short of an all-star lineup. Led by Bruce Bochy, the Pods took out the Braves right out of contention, sort of with pitching and some grinding and perseverance. Uh, you know, the 98 Braves kind of said they were the best Braves team to never have won the World Series. And they're coming off of a, the Braves are coming off of a Cubs series where the Braves dominated the Cubs in the division series. Chicago just scored four runs uh, total in a three-game sweep with John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, all kind of flexing their their uh, pitching muscles. And the worst outing of the three in that series was Maddox allowing two runs in seven innings. The Pods finished that season with a record of 98 and 64, winning the NL West. Their pitching was excellent, just like the Braves, in fact. Their stats put them, I think, second that season behind the Braves. But their offensive performance was more middle of the road. You had a pretty good team there, solid players like Greg Vaughn. He had 50 home runs, led the team with a 156 OPS. Caminiti had 29 home runs. Gwynn was always pretty consistent. But uh, game one, Smoltz kind of, you know, they, they grind their way on with Smoltz with walks. 
Sacrifice flies, end up defeating Smoltz three to two, 10 innings with a Caminiti uh, go ahead home run. It wasn't a walk off as a go ahead. But game two, they face Glavin, win 3 0, blanking the Braves. Uh, Brown comes away with a victory. Game three, Sterling Hitchcock gets one of two wins. Braves go down 3 0 uh, in the series. And it kind of feels like things normal out in the next two games. Braves kind of win easy, eight to three. Game five, seven to six. Um, John Rocker, I think, get, got the win maybe in his rookie season that game. Um, Maddox went with the save. And so now we're kind of down to game six, and people are thinking the Braves will have some momentum. Well, Sterling gets a second win, goes on to win series MVP, pretty anticlimactic with a 5-0 victory. And so what I think what I'm saying here, what makes this legendary is unless you live in the West Coast, you know, you don't hear much about the Padres ever until recently with Tatis and some of the stars they're getting – so how many times were the Braves in the postseason? It seemed like all the time. Not to mention, how many times have the Padres won the World Series? Zero. To this day, zero. And they were only in the postseason twice. This was the second time. So, you know, it's like this team was was nowhere near in people's minds in terms of contenders. So that's why I think the Padres could be a good candidate for the legacy here. Something they had in common with Kevin's Marlins is Kevin Brown. Just a fantastic pitcher. Jack, uh, I, I want to hear your thoughts on Kevin Brown as a pitcher because he never comes up as a name of, like, one of the best. But this guy, he went to contender after contender. People wanted him on their team. Oh, absolutely. We were the same year, guys. And we were kind of the top two guys for most of our career. You want to know the, the funny, interesting story of that is – when the the year that I got traded during the strike in 94 to the Yankees, I was supposed to be, we were both supposed to be free agents after that season, but because we didn't play that last month and a half or something, we didn't get our full time. So we had to play seven seasons to become free agents. We both get free agents, see, the next year, obviously, after my year with the Yankees and his last year with uh, the Rangers, right? So... Both of us only got two throwouts for us. We only had two things put out, the Marlins and the Indians. Both put out to me, here, we want to take you on, we want your contract. And they did it to Kevin, too. And we knew, okay, we're going to do, you know, one or the other. They weren't going to do both of us. They just, one of us wants it, one of us. And then, look. A few years later, what? Oh, they both go to the World Series. So the only teams that wanted us were the World Series dudes, and I didn't get to go. It was a bummer. Let me ask you a question here about uh, Tony Gwynn. Uh, it was just awesome to see him make a World Series there towards the end of his career. When you you come up to pitch with a guy like Tony Gwynn or, or maybe a Wade Boggs, someone along those lines that you know can hit the pitch anywhere, how do you approach a batter like that? It depends situationally. After facing Boggs a lot and watching and, you know, trying to work so hard to get him out and watching him just be able to put every anything, everything in play for hits, I basically used to say, you know, okay, if it's not a situation with guys on base or guys in scoring position, I'm not going to waste pitches here. I'm just going to throw it up and away, upper thigh away, and let him hit a line drive over shortstop for a single. And maybe he'll miss it a little and pop out. And I just used to do that. I never talked to him about that. We played together on the Yankees. But that's that was the one thing that, you know, I did do. I said, I know this guy's going to put it in play. 
So it's kind of a waste of time to try to get him here, get him there, you know, do all this different stuff. So that's interesting. So you actually like, we're saying, okay, you're giving him a a pitch to hit basically. Yeah. Go ahead. You know Uh, what? There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's realistically look at it. You're in the hall of fame. You're getting out seven out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, seven out of 10 times and you're a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. So throw strikes, guys. Stop trying to get everybody to swing and miss. Throw the ball over the plate. See what happens. They'll get themselves out sometimes. Well, well, nowadays everybody swings and misses or they hit a home run. That's about all you see. So, <laughs> All right. Well, we've got one shout-out, 93 Phillies over the Braves tonight. So that's our shout-out. Let's move into our vote. You cannot pick your own. Paul, you're in my top corner. Who are you taking? I'll stay consistent with who I argued for in the past, which is the Marlins. And that's, you know, I love that team, and Kevin stole it from me, so no big deal. <laughs> Kevin, go ahead. Um, I'm going to go with a rare vote and go with my brother's team. I'm going to take the Indians over the Yanks. Okay. Brian? I mean, when I look at these three teams, I mean, the, the Padres, 98 wins, that, that, that's that's a lot of wins for, you know, uh, an upset team. So that's that doesn't really qualify, in my opinion. Um, and then you got, you know, the Indians beat the Yanks, and that is kind of an overrated thing because they're the Yankees. Uh, so I got it. I mean, I got to go with the Marlins. I mean, that was pretty much, what were they, in their fourth year of existence or something? Nobody really saw them coming. So I'm going to go with the Marlins. Okay. So, you know, I had actually voted for the 97 Marlins in the World Series show that we did for the 90s, but I thought the World Series win was huge, and I thought they were a team of destiny, but I don't think beating the Braves, as Jack stated earlier, beating the Braves in the playoffs in the 90s was something that just happened to be done all the time. Playoffs came around, they were losing unless they were playing the Pirates, (laughs) unfortunately. So, uh I'm not picking any of those uh, Braves upsets, so that gives me the 96 Orioles. So, Jack, we come to you. What's your biggest upset? Yeah, well, they're kind of all upsets, but I think the the Padres one, that was pretty good, too. Thank fact, you, Jack. In fact, the fact that Hitchcock, you know, Sterling was there and we played together in the yeah. Yankees. That was cool. Yeah, I told you, this guy's smart, man. This guy this is a smart baseball player. So that's one for each team, except for the Marlins, who got two. So we got to give the win to Kevin tonight. So there you go, Kevin. And that's uh, that's a good night for you because you won the prior show too. So I thought the All guest right. always trumps that. That's right. Oh, uh, only so, if it's a time. <laughs> that's right. So let's move into our Q and A. Uh, Kevin, you got the win. You got first question. Uh, so I want to take you to '93 um, when you won that Cy Young award. Uh, you had a Pretty good lineup, too, in there. You had Timmy Raines, Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, Ozzie Guillen. Uh, what was it like playing for the White Sox that year and, and getting that Cy Young Award? Well, the thing that was cool about it is we all started as a young team and just kind of got better, 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 and we were facing the A's. We were in the American League West at the time, and the thing about the A's were superstars all those years – and there were a couple of years that if the wild card existed, we would have got in because we had some decent seasons breaking in before we actually beat them. 
and got into the playoffs. And that was, that was the first time we did, it was 93. So that was kind of, you know, that was the best part of us moving together as a team. And it would have been cool if the White Sox would have kept me and we could have kept going forward with it. But they, you know, got rid of me basically after 94, after they canceled a big season, a big postseason we would have had in 94. Right. Brian, Paul, me. Hi, Jack. Wait, you you were, uh, as Mike mentioned on the outset, you were able to lead the league in complete games three times, also once in shutouts. Um, to what would you attribute your ability to go to distance in so many games? Uh, number one, being allowed to. <laughs> you know, nowadays, they preset pitch counts so ridiculously that, hey, wait a minute, I'm throwing a no-hitter in the World Series and you're going to take me out of the game? <laughs> Right here, right here. Oh, I can't tell you how mad that made me. <laughs> they don't they don't predetermine you coming out of a game back when we played. The other team would tell you when it was time for you to get out of the game, and they start beating up on you. So, you know, it was all about just being the last guy. You you fought. And if you were the last guy standing, you got your win and your team got your win. That's what it was all about pitching back then. After all these years, Jack. Are you back on Mark Witten's Christmas card list? Yeah, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> you ever talked to him since since that uh, infamous day on the inside pitch? Well, quickly, well, it was an outside pitch. Think about it. It was behind uh, me. You know, I was oh, trying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're right. Depends how you look at it. Miss him, but to show them, because they had hit, um, Jimmy Key had hit Robin Ventura, in the wrist, right in front of his face, and threw one behind his head, hit Ozzie Gein in the helmet, threw another one behind his head. He was They were hitting guys. That was five days earlier. Then they come back to our place five days later. Jimmy pitches again, hits a couple more guys. And I'm like, you know, none of our pitchers really stood up for it. So when I got in, I was like, all right, I'll stand up for it. I'll let them know that I'm here to, you know, battle for my guys. And so home run came before it. And Witten was the next guy. And you think I'm a dummy and I'm going to pick him as the guy to hit? He's one of the biggest, strongest guys in MLBs. <laughs> so, I mean, I was throwing behind him just to just to say, yeah, hey, you guys want to keep that stuff going? You know, I'll keep it going too. But then he came out. He was the only guy to ever charge me. So, yeah. Awesome. So, you were drafted by the Red Sox in 84, but you chose to go to Stanford You'd win the 87 College World Series. Um, I just want to know, like, what went into that decision to not go pro? I I'm sure that's a very long, thought-out decision. Well, it, you know, back then, if you go back and look, Stanford was a place where if you were going to Stanford and you got drafted, you weren't going to go play pro ball. You were going to go to Stanford and try to get your degree. And go back and look at that time, too. There weren't any guys signing junior year. Bouchel was the first guy to sign junior year. Everybody would just finish, you know, finish all the way through. And think about my freshman year. You had Pete Stanisek and Jeff Ballard, all the seniors there. Everybody was seniors. They were finishing their schooling before they signed professionally. So because I had already signed to go with Stanford, I didn't get drafted as high as I probably should have. And so, you know, the money wasn't what it probably could have been back then which wasn't a whole heck of a lot anyway but right. you know think about 
three years later and Ken Griffey Jr., number one overall, $180,000 signing bonus. <laughs> that was huge for us back then. Yeah. Kevin, same order, guys. I want to take you to your uh, music career. Um, so you, you played in two bands. Uh, the first one was with some, some other baseball players. But, uh, just tell me about your, your music career and playing, uh, playing on a band. Yeah, well, it all started. I mean, when I was 11, 10 and 11 years old, I took a couple of years of guitar lessons. I really liked music. My sister worked in the, the music industry. And so it was just kind of cool. I really liked it. I liked listening to lyrics. I like writing down lyrics. I just like doing all that stuff. And, you know, then when, you know, high school came and college came and I was just playing sports, that's all I was doing. And I'd play a little guitar and mess around and all this, but not really that far into it. But then when I went back to Stanford, after signing professionally, I had one quarter before I finished my Stanford degree. So I had to go back after my first pro season with the White Sox and finish up. And that was the first time I was at Stanford and not playing baseball every day. So I'd get done with my classes at like one o'clock and go back and go back to the apartment and just go, what am I going to do? I'm just bored. So I started playing more guitar and I actually started writing songs and messing around with stuff like that and got into it. And that's how it all started up. And you know, wrote enough songs to be in a record, so did did our first record, and then just kept going from there. So, so Jack, one, one thing that seemed consistent throughout your time in Chicago, uh, aside from you being a top-quality pitcher, was both the way the club did not seem to really show you the uh, appreciation, at least I felt that you deserved, and the several cycles through arbitration. So was this the ultimate reason that you ended up out of, out of Chicago? Yeah, they weren't a big fan of mine for whatever reason. I, you know, we it's they never, ever, even gave me a contract. They always just took me to arbitration and whatever. You know, they didn't offer me any contracts at all. So the first three seasons were boom, boom, boom. You got, you know, you got sixty-two-five as the first year and then the next year was 70 next year's 85 and then after that it was arbitration it took me three straight years to arbitration without a single offer at all of any contract not a one-year contract nothing and even going into my final year I went and met with Jerry Reinsdorf and I said listen I know that you guys know whether you want to sign me after this season after the 94 season as a free agent I know you know that right now said so Whatever it is, don't take me to arbitration. Just offer me, you know, if I'm just going to be here one more year, just offer me a one-year deal and let's just do it. And, and then, you know, then you can let me go to free agency. But if, you know, we're going to sign a free agency, let's go. Well, they came. They offered me the day before we were supposed to go to arbitration in that last year. They, they gave me four different four-year offers. And I, I just looked at him. I said, they're four-year offers. I didn't even barely even look at how much it was. And I said, great, pick one. I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll do any one that you want to pick. Go ahead. So I'm like, okay, good. Now I'm going to sign and be with the White Sox for the next four years at least. Next day, boom. No, we're taking your arbitration. Let's go. <laughs> I was like, what? What in the world? They take me in there again. Three arbitrations. After I won 17, 20, and 22 games in three straight years, and they take me to arbitration. 
And it wasn't even because we were negotiating and not getting around negotiation. It was because the ownership back then wanted the top players to go to arbitration to set the top line of salaries for that group down. You know, that's what it was all about. So I don't know why the White Sox didn't want to re-sign me other than it was frustrating to go through that every year. That was such a great team with you on there. I, that's crazy. I love this picture of you, this signed picture. You're you're flipping off the Yankee fans. Can you put us there? Buck Showalter visits the mound. He, he takes you out. I love the allure to it. I love the way you didn't hold back. I don't know how you feel about it, but it helps with your rock, you know, your rock star allure. But uh, this powerful Yankees entity – you let them know how you felt. Can you put us there? Would you go back and do it all over again the same? Well, you know, it's tough. It's kind of a bummer because then you go coach a bunch of kids and they look up your history and they go find that and they're like, oh, you uh, that's kind of a bummer for, you know, young kids to have to see that and not understand it. But, you know, it wasn't – they the Yankees guys, they didn't understand. That year in 1995 – Go look. Jimmy Key was our number one. I was our number two. Jimmy Key lasted two starts, and he was hurt and done for the season. And I asked people, it was the first year that the Yankees went to the playoffs in 13 years. Do you remember who all of our pitchers were? And people are like, uh, uh, no, I can't really say, yeah. So guess what? Buck called me in after Jimmy went down, and he said, listen, I know that you're – not a selfish player. You're a team player, and you will suck up the innings we need because we have a, we're going to bring up a lot of rookie pitchers that aren't you know used to it. Our bullpen's probably going to have to do a lot of work this season, you know, because our starting rotation isn't the greatest right now, and so we're going to have to run you out there. And so that's how it went. And you go back and look. I threw a ton of innings and then got hurt at the end of the season, missed. My last two, I think two or three starts of the season before the playoffs started and still was like second in the league in innings pitched. And that was the reason. Even if I was getting beat up, he would leave me out there for seven or eight innings just to do it. And the Yankees fans would just boo me and boo me and boo me. I'm like, you don't understand. You know what? I'm ruining the back of my baseball card for your team and my team. Why are you booing me? And the fact that the first time that I faced the White Sox and they beat me up and then my team's booing me, that really, that's the thing that really knocked me off the mound. I was i was like, wait a minute, this is embarrassing. They just traded me to you guys and now you're booing me like I'm nothing, but I'm actually doing good stuff for you guys. Why are you doing that? So that's kind of what I was trying to say. Yeah. And that was the only way they could hear it all. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, the strike year, 94. I want to take you back to that year. Uh, you had a fine year. You, you, you led the league in game started. And it looks like uh, I think you at the time when baseball ended there, you also were leading the league in uh, strikeouts to walk ratio. So a nice solid year there in 94. We did a whole show which was who would have won the 94 World Series? Well, it was uh, either the Expos or us. <laughs> so I, I believe you guys were like a half a game back or something at that point. Uh, 
when they no, we were first place. We were a half when they when we canceled it. We were in first place. Okay. And the thing was, if you go back and look, you know, after my third arbitration, I came into that season thinking I just, you know, I was number two in the Cy Young, then I won the Cy Young, and now here I am, and the team still hates me. They're taking me to arbitration, trying to crush me, telling me all this bad stuff in arbitration to try to get my money down. So when I came back to that season, it really messed up my mental approach. And I started off horrendously, started off two and seven with like a seven ERA, but then started getting better and had a one heck of a great run. And if you go back and look, Alex Fernandez, who was our number two guy, had a tough start too. And towards the end of the season, we started just crushing it, me and him. And add to it, we had Jason Beret and Wilson Alvarez, both who were all-stars that year. So going into that final, we had four guys that were ready to deal. And, you know, Roberto and his closer, we, we, were, we were good. And I was doing super good at the end, and Alex was doing super good at the end. You go back and look. They, you know, Jerry knew that we were – canceling the season and he knew what day and the last three starts that I made were three day rest so we only went with a four only went with a four man four man four man three day rest three straight complete games and three day rest then the season ended if you want to hear more about that 94 season go in our archives check out the Mike Kingery show so uh do you have got time for one more each sure yeah excellent Okay, oh, I'm going to start it out, and uh, then we'll go Kevin, Brian, Paul. So you, you mentioned Jeff Ballard earlier. Um, you pitched with him over at Stanford. So he actually did a show with us as well. Um, there was something that he mentioned that I wanted to get your take on. He talked about playing Randy Johnson uh, over at USC. And, uh, like, Randy would uh, – if you were giving him a hard time, he would focus more and be a better pitcher. But if you left him alone – he, he wouldn't be hitting his corners and things like that. So that's, to me, part of the mental game. Can you just kind of, like, describe, in, in your opinion, like, baseball is a very mental sport, especially for a pitcher. So how, how do you pre prepare yourself mentally when you're going out to pitch? Well, you just go out there and do what you can do, you know. And the most interesting part about it is think about back in the day, what they used to say about good starting pitchers. If you don't get them early and they get into their rotation and they get into their mode and start going good, you're done. That's what they used to say about good pitchers. You know, you better get him early in the game. But nowadays, what do the metrics guys say? Oh, we can't let anybody face them the third time around because the third time around, they've seen all the pitches. They've, you know, this and that, this and that, this and that. Well, wait a minute. That's not reality. Reality for good starting pitchers is they better get you early. And I haven't looked at that. I'll look that up of my stats one day of, you know, what the batting average first time around, second time around, third time around, fourth time around were in my career over time. You know, go check it out and just show it. Yeah, realistically, guess what? You know, gave up this many hits first time around, but didn't give up any third time around. Won the game. Hmm. Oh, we'll go Paul, Brian, Kevin. It's fine. Okay. <clears throat> I'll ask you a couple of your favorites. And if these are your favorites, what's your 
favorite pitch that you threw and then switching gears, the favorite song. If if you were to recommend one song to me that you're the most proudest of, what are those what are those two categories there? Oh, of well, I was a fastball split finger guy. You know, and I didn't really start throwing a breaking ball curveball until college. But I started throwing my split finger my sophomore year in high school because I was a shortstop and a pitcher. And so I go back and look, and I still I was I was pitching and just going boom, throwing, throwing like a catcher infielder. Didn't get back here to throw like I ended up doing when I just became a pitcher. So I really, when you do this, you really can't throw a breaking ball because you you're don't have the arm length to do it. And so, but I was able to get a split and do that. So the split was the thing to help me because over time I was able, I threw it, threw it for so long and that was my second pitch all the time is I was able to move my hand to cut it, turn it one way, do different things with it. And it was a different pitch yeah. at the time, which was cool. Hmm. And we say favorite song, favorite song of mine? <laughs> yeah, the band. What's your key, what's the song you like? Not the one that's most popular, but what's your what's the one that's nearest and dearest to you? Uh, kind of all. They're kind of all. I kind of like them because they're all have something to do with my life at some point. But in my my record, Ape of the Kings, I think one of my favorite songs. Yeah, I suppose. It's hey man. Hey man. I'm listening to it tonight. <laughs> but so Jack, of all the the batters that you faced, um, can you tell me one that always gave you trouble? And was there one like really good, um, you know, all star type player that you always dominated? Well, Robbie Alomar was one that used to get me all the time. He was one of the toughest guys that I ever faced. And going back and looking at numbers, one of the better guys that I actually did really well against, which was crazy because it was right-hander versus a left-hander, was Ken Griffin Jr. Oh, wow. and I did pretty good against him. He only hit, I think, either high 100s or low 200s against me. And it just was the way it was, you know. And it's interesting because I was watching old videos of my career a couple of years ago. And there were back-to-back -back bunts against the Mariners. The Mariners did back-to-back -back bunts for base hits against me. Guess who they were? Griffey and Edgar Martinez. Edgar Martinez. Wow. I'm hey, like, oh, I'm throwing pretty good. If I have those two guys trying to bunt base hits against me, man. <laughs> wow. So uh, I want to take you to your coaching career. Um, I believe you last coached for the Burlington Sock Puppets. Is there any uh, any future coaching positions you're looking at or wanting to pursue? Well, I'm back to doing the kids stuff now. You know, after that, this past fall, I did my 13-year-olds. Um, my we went from to the junior little leagues to go to 60-90, you know, to go from little league to 60-90 because he had to try out for his – middle school team which he made this year so we did that and that was a lot of fun teaching the kids you know it was good stuff a lot a lot more fun than teaching the college kids now who haven't been taught anything up to that level it's crazy what's going on in it as far as I mean I'd love to be able to get back in pro ball but 
I ain't going to it with all the stuff that's going on up there. You know, being dictated how you're supposed to do stuff by people that don't know baseball for real. It just, I can't do it anymore. So I'll talk, I talk to guys that I know that are in the coaching thing. I said, Hey, is this still going on? Is this going on? Yeah. You know, show Walter going back to the Mets this year. I'm going to watch how that goes. Maybe I'll contact him and say, Hey, are they dictating to you or are you just managing for real? Can we coach for real? Or are they going to tell us, you know, Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that when they don't really know the truth behind all this stuff. I can't, I could not take that right now. That's why I don't even want to get into pro ball unless they let us just coach for real. The game, not the metrics. Right. Well, thank you so much, Jack McDowell, for joining us tonight. Cy Young Award winner. Awesome having you on. Thank you. All right, guys. It was fun. Make sure everybody hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. Have a great night.